So tell me, in North Carolina, what are you planting now? Uh, I think really going to ground right now in North Carolina, Brassicas. Brassicas. Um, You're in Zone 7. We're in Zone 7. I live in Raleigh. We're kind of in the, I guess, northern part of Zone 7. Yep. It was 30 degrees when I left Raleigh yesterday yeah. morning. Yeah. Uh, but I have broccoli in my garden, mm -hmm. and then I have uh, the Kodiak brown mustard that yeah. I got from you guys for yeah. nematode control in my garden. What broccoli you got planted? Uh, artwork primarily, All right. um, which is our, one of our stem broccolis, and I have some new ones that are, are trials. Trials, cool. Mm -hmm. So I've got, uh, got a local propagator that grow our trials for us and suck a few of them in and see what happens. That's right. Well, welcome everyone to the Row by Row Garden Show, the best dead gum garden show on the radio and the internet as well. Man, are we excited? We got Peter, and I'm Peter. I'm gonna let you say your last name. Westerbeek. Westerbeek, because I knew I was gonna mess it up if I attempted that one. So uh, Peter's with Simnus, and I met Peter a few months ago, and uh, we both uh, got a little few miles on us. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best way to been put there, it. done that, been there, done that, and really hit it off with Peter. Wealth of information. Give us a little background. Where you come from and where you've been. You've been in this about 30-some few years. Yeah, I started November of 1991. Right. At least in the seed park. Yep. I grew up in uh, eastern North Carolina, uh, Clinton, North Carolina in particular. My dad was an ag extension specialist, horticultural specialist. So uh, I grew up around vegetable production. Mm -hmm. uh, and in high school, I worked on a local farmer's farm. We grew pepper, cucumbers, tobacco. Which is Easter tobacco. tobacco. Had, to, had to get that tobacco. Uh, yep. Flu cured or, or flu cured. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was uh they had about hundred acres of tobacco. We had about eighty Ooh. acres of pepper. We had twenty. Everybody should of pay their dues at a tobacco patch. Yeah, it's it's um it's interesting. Uh kind of being around that crop and, and dealing with nicotine and mm -hmm. in the in the leaf and putting yep. it up and, and yep. uh, cropping it, suckering, suckering, topping and suckering was it's like a smell you will never forget. No, and it won't come out of your clothes. <laughs> you, uh, once, yeah. you, once, you, once you're in a tobacco field, that that shirt, yeah. t-shirt is a tobacco t-shirt. Yep. Yep. Been there, done that, yep. as we say. So yeah, it was, uh, been in it the whole life, been in ag my whole life, and I was fortunate to have a, a father who was in the business that, uh, and, and, you know, customers that uh, I have now, I actually knew mm -hmm. then. I know. So you was in. The, you've been in the seed business Correct. for thirty some mm -hmm. years. I was hired uh, in nineteen ninety one for Asgrow Seed, which at the time people would be familiar with Asgrow as a soybean brand. Mm -hmm. But uh, back then it was Asgrow Vegetable Seed, mm -hmm. and we were owned by Upjohn Company, which no longer exists, and uh, they were a pharmaceutical company. And through the years, um, you know, have been a product manager, been um, been a regional sales manager. I've, through a lot of that career, did my own research work. I have a, a technical rep now that helps me with my trial work. So, uh, yeah, I've been, been, been through a lot of the wars and a lot of the uh, changes in the vegetable mm -hmm. industry for sure. Vegetable yep. seed industry in particular. Right, which has come a long way. Come, it's changed a lot. Yeah, and, uh, man, we're just excited to have you here. Wealth of information there, so folks really pay attention because you're going to get some good stuff, I promise you, this evening. So in my garden... We walked out there yep. early. I got corn up. You're a lot further along than we are. Yeah, and I got watermelons planted. I planted them over the weekend. And I'm going to tell you, I don't get up and down like I used to. I transplanted my watermelons, and I paid the price Monday. Ooh, I was sore. <laughs> but it's good for you. Yep. It's good for you to get out there. Well, we got uh, broccoli planted. We got uh, all kind of stuff in the middle of the greenhouse. It's full. I'm going to plant some more corn. You ever heard of Jimmy Red corn? I have not. It's an old heirloom red corn. I'm gonna red plant, corn. Yes, I'm gonna plant me a, a spot of that. 
best cornmeal you've ever had. Ah. Anyway, got that coming along. We got all kind of stuff. We're just in the, the meat of it right here. You yep. guys are going to follow us next. We're about a month behind. So when would you plant? You got your potatoes planted. Yep, but it's been planted about a week ago. So when will you plant corn? We'll start planting sweet corn. Uh, some guys will go this week. They'll take a risk. Uh, but for the most part, it's, we are in April corn okay. area. Okay. Now, you go up in the mountains. Uh, we've got guys that go all the way up into June up there. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking uh, pre-4th of July corn or having corn around the 4th, which is sort of tradition, you're going to need to plant that around middle of April at the latest right. in North Carolina, depending right. on the variety. Right. Uh, I was, just a little side note, I was up there last year in, around Franklin, North Carolina, and I ran across a bean I hadn't seen in a long time. It was mm -hmm. a cranberry bean. Yes. Yep. And I was, uh, I talked to the guy that grew it for a little bit. So I came back and actually sourced this one called Tapazio. But no. it's a shell, but you know, here in the South, we don't grow a lot of shelling beans. No. But up in Northern Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, y'all do a decent amount of shelling beans it's up there. It's pretty popular in the mountains. Right. I think that's the old, you know, sort of the mountain folks. They had a short growing season. Mm -hmm. they, they were growing something to have in December, January, February. You have something to eat. You know, and, uh. They're still pretty popular up there. They're still growing a lot of like the old runner beans up yep. there. You still yep. see production of those. I right. get questions about those all the time. And you're right, they do a lot of more shelling beans up there mm -hmm. than we do yep. anywhere in the eastern part of North Carolina. Right. All right, so we got some new varieties we're going to shoot through pretty quick here. Let y'all know what is going on in the new variety. Of course, we got Mr. Carolina Reaper. We're glad to have it. We haven't had it in a year or so. This is that hot, hot, hot. Oh, pepper. yeah, I've been to there. Facility in South Carolina. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty neat, ain't it? Yep, it is. Yep, there's that Carolina Reaper, which is, can be challenging to grow. Have you ever grown yeah. any of them? I have, and one thing for people to know is those things take a long time. They so do. Uh, they do. you're going to want to get those quick and get them in the ground, greenhouse quick and get them in the field quick. Yep. Saucy Lady Tomato right here is one for you guys that like to grow those saucy tomatoes, make sauces out of. That's a good one right there. Mm -hmm. And. The one you was talking about. Now let's go let's get stuff. This is a stuffing tomato. I've seen those, mainly out of Europe. Yep. So you stuff them, you core, core the insides out, and you can stuff them with whatever you would like there. But it's kind of a it's a unique looking tomato. But uh it wouldn't be my go-to, but it's kind of a novelty thing. Yeah, have a couple person. plants to yeah. guard. Yep. Now here we're gonna move on this one. You was asking me about this earlier. Wild boar solar flare tomato. So there's an OP guy in California doing some pretty good work with OP varieties. Okay. And the name of his farm is Wild Boar. It's pretty interesting if you want to follow him on Instagram or Facebook. I think I follow him on Facebook. I'm not much of an Instagram guy. Does some pretty interesting work. Now, they are all OP varieties, so you got to keep that in mind. You know, it is an OP. But they are the, the coloring on those is pretty good. I can't testify to the taste of them. They're supposed to be good, but it does a real good job with the color of them. Is that indeterminate or determinate? It is a determinate, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yep. I could be wrong there, but I think it is. And then last but not least, and we're going to touch on this one a little bit lower because this one happens to be one of yours. Mm -hmm. Eureka Cucumber. And this is a new one that uh, we got for this year. We've added quite a bit of cucumbers. So, interesting. We're going to dig into Eureka just a little bit Yeah, it's very more. good hybrid. Yep. All right, so what I wanted to do, Peter, when we had the opportunity to have you here, is go over some of the varieties that we carry, that you have, okay. that you could expand on and give us more information on those. Glad to. Yep. First of all, let's talk about cucumbers, because we just, we are knee-deep in cucumber time. Cucumber can be a little 
confusing to the home gardener because there's all these fancy terms to be used yep. out there. And we actually carry a lot of these new varieties here. So let's talk about some of those big words. And you know the big words I'm talking I about. I know the big Ganesius. words. words. Mm -hmm. Yep. So go over to each one of those if you would before we get started. Then we'll kind of dig into these varieties here. Well, so there's Gynecious, Monetious, and Parthenocarpic, and they are big words. They're, they're really not all that difficult to understand. So Gynecious is varieties that are what we call predominantly female, meaning that there's far more female flowers on the vine than there is male flowers. Mm -hmm. Now, that breeding was done particularly in the pickle industry, but it's been done to provide really heavy harvests in a short period of time. And so if you've got more female flowers, proportionally the male flowers, obviously you're going to set more fruit in a short period of time. And so what I would tell a home garden is if you're going to, if you're going to make pickles, if, you're, if your goal is to make pickles, well, you can't really wait two weeks for the first harvest and the last harvest right. and then make your pickles. You, right. you would try to, you'd ideally want to get have, it over with. You want to get it over with, plant a row, pick everything, your, the bulk of your production comes off. If you're doing that, you want to use a Dionysus variety. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're going to have the bulk of your harvest in maybe two picks mm -hmm. or three picks at the most. And that plant's largely done. And mm -hmm. then you move on to a succession, succession planting, which I'll talk about on the show, which gardeners need to be doing. You would succession plant more with Gynecious than you would with Monetius. Mm -hmm. um, now, these Gynecious varieties, if you've never grown before, these babies load That's up. That's by the design. And they don't have a large vine. It's not a huge vine in plant. Again, by design. Yeah. But the man, they just look. If you've never grown before, your mind will actually not let you comprehend what these babies will do. You're talking about a compact plant. Some of these get like this right here yeah. and just load up. I tell people, you better carry a big bucket with you. Yeah, and if and you know, you think about a large commercial grower, I mean, he's paying for labor, he's he's trying to, you know, get as much out of the field in a short period of time as he can for his inputs, and that's why that's predominantly what's used. So mm -hmm. so my commercial guys that are growing cucumbers are pretty much all using Gynecious. Mm -hmm. Um and it's sort of standard in that space. Right. Monetius has different utility for a gardener. So Monetius are basically equal male to female flowers on the plant. So I grow in my garden mostly trellised cucumbers. My, my parents don't need a lot of cucumbers at one time. They're basically just using them to snack on. So I'll plant Gynetius and put them on a, on a trellis. And that's interesting. And the reason for that is, is you know, you, you can go today, you might pick one or two tomorrow, uh -huh. and you know, you see the ones that are ready the next couple of days, and you right. go pick them. And, and Monetius are mainly designed to pick over a long period of time. So you have equal male to female flower. The other thing about Monetius is that they don't require as much bee activity as does Gynetius. You know, if you're planting in a garden and you, you don't think you have a lot of bees, don't plant Gynetius, because more than likely, you're just not gonna get enough pollen transfer and you're going you to got maximize to really your, work that pollen. You got to really work yep. that pollen. Monetius are designed, by definition, to have just a little bit more of a lengthy harvest period. Mm -hmm. And you know, most of your truly successful home garden varieties are monetius. Okay. Eureka is one of those. Yep. But the uh, the monetius are what I would recommend for the vast majority of home gardeners. Okay. And then last but not least, Parth. Yeah, Parth is, um, so people are most familiar with Parth by what they buy at the grocery store, the long ones that are in the mm -hmm. cellophane, uh, greenhouse grown. Mm -hmm. Parth will make a fruit without being pollinated. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we at Seminus have thought about, you know, introducing a lot of Parth to the home garden industry, and I've trialed them, and, and I think we've largely decided that it has a very minimal play. And the reason is that in most home garden environments, 
you're going to have bee activity. Mm -hmm. And bees are going to move pollen within parth, and then you don't have seedless cucumbers. If, if a parth variety gets pollinated by a bee, it will produce seed, and it will have a, essentially a, a cucumber with seed in it. Now, if you're growing inside, mm -hmm. um, if you're growing in an area on a patio or in a raised bed where you don't, know, you don't think you have a lot of bee activity, you should definitely try parth varieties. Mm -hmm. But you know, as a general rule, they're, they're not what I would recommend for most home gardeners that are in open outdoor environments because you're, you're going to have natural bee activity. Right, but if you are in one of those situations that you don't have any pollinators, it would be an option. It's your only option. It's your only option, yeah. Right, I mean, if you're, if you're confident that you're going to have almost no bee activity, any cucurbit, but particularly cucumbers, you need to grow parth. And you know what? There's no parth squash out there. There are some in Europe. People in are trialing them in the U.S. Um, we're looking at one now that we're going to try to bring over to the U.S. It's a zucchini, mm -hmm. um, mainly in, in Central Europe and, and, and Eastern Europe, where in Western Europe, sorry, Spain, Italy, uh, for winter production. Right. And, they, and they don't need bees. But as of right now, I know of no squash being marketed in the U.S. that are apart. Right. Yep. Cool. All right. So let's dig in and let's go. Let's dig into these right here. How about that? First one is Burpless Supreme Cucumber. Older variety, mainly put on trellis. Mm -hmm. um, it's a vining type. Very, very strong yep. vining type. If you're going to put on trellis, I've grown this on my trellises. I like it. Uh, interesting, the burpless trait. You know, we get asked a lot about the burpless trait. And there really is no burpless cucumber. Uh, that was a marketing, as I understand it from our plant breeders, that was a marketing campaign in the 40s and 50s. Someone came up with that said our cucumbers are burpless. There's no genetic basis for burpless. So uh -huh. um, all cucumbers technically are burpless, no okay. matter what their genetic type they are. But this is a one to put on a trellis. Yep. Would not grow that one on the ground. Okay. Mr. Bristol. Bristol's Gynecious. Um, we sell quite a bit of it in our commercial business fairly early mm -hmm. by, by the standards of these types. Uh, probably not one I put on a trellis. Uh, and the one thing about Gynecious that people need to know is that there's a blender in the seed. So 85% of, of what's in that packet is Bristol. Mm -hmm. And 15%, depending on the rice, sometimes 12% is a pollinator. Mm -hmm. And so don't, in this case, if you're going to plant that packet, I don't remember how many seeds in that packet. 30. 30, plant all 30. Let me make sure, because I had that conversation with a customer this morning. 50, excuse me, 50 seeds. So plant all 50. Yep. Because yep. if you, if just by randomness, if you don't plant the whole thing, there's a chance you've got no pollinators out there, yep. in which case yep. you're going to have no cucumbers. Right. So I had the exact uh, conversation this morning. I said, when you look at that pack, plant them all. Plant them all. Yep. Yeah, that would be. Now, the, used to, on some of them, they would distinguish the seed by color in there. Correct. That's, That's not done anymore. Not done much anymore, yeah. no. Um, Matter of fact, I don't think we do it at all. Right. Uh, and if you're planting untreated seed, obviously there's there's no there's right. no seed treatment on it. You don't you can't tell. But yeah, um, yeah if you're going if you that's one reason to know you're planting a Johnnyshire hybrid. If you're planting a Johnnyshire hybrid, plant what you're sent. Mm -hmm. Yep. Here we go. Here's Eureka. Yeah, Eureka's been around a long time. Um, it's my favorite cucumber variety. It's what my parents have had me grow for years. Um, it does well on a trellis. It mm -hmm. wasn't really bred for that, but they do grow it in Mexico and other parts of Central America on trellises. Um, the, the thing about Eureka that makes it really valuable is it's got tremendous virus resistance. So here yeah. in the South, in particular, we're going to have plant viruses in cucumbers. It just, you just are. Aphid vectored viruses. Um, this one is extremely productive. It's proven. We know it works. Um, Used a lot in the commercial market? 
It's used mainly in Mexico in the commercial space. Okay. Yeah, it's um, most of the Monetius pickles are grown in Mexico and in Central America and the U.S. primarily because we machine pick mm -hmm. our pickles here in the U.S. We're using Gynetius hybrids. Okay. Uh, but Eureka is one that most home gardeners should at least look at if they want a really good pickle. Expedition. So Expedition is a Gynetius pickle. So as uh, we were talking about at lunch, you know, we, we at Seminus are fortunate to be one of the major players in the pickle industry from, the, you know, from a retail perspective. So I think at one time, seven out of ten pickles that you bought at a grocery yeah. store were Seminus pickles. And this is, one, this is one of those varieties. Expedition is a Gynetius pickle, really high productivity. This would be one if you're going to grow a space in your garden to pack pickles, this is what one you would want to grow. Okay. Uh, very productive, short period of time. Vine length is fairly manageable. Uh, and it's designed over two, three picks to give you a lot of pickles. Yep. And in the pickle industry now, you know, they've gone for a little bit longer pickle because so much of their pack is in spears. Mm -hmm. So this, by the standards of maybe 20 years ago, would be a longer pickle. Mm -hmm. But by today's standards, it's pretty much an average variety. Cool. From a length perspective. All right, we're going to switch it over to some peppers. Because y'all are the pepper people. We're the pepper people, yeah. Gypsy, I mean, it's a must-have. You know, it's a kind of a variety that's not used much in the commercial space. Mm -hmm. not, at least not in the, in, in the U.S. It's more of a European-type pepper. But um, yellow, sort of a wax color. Mm -hmm. Turns to, to green, you know, from yellow to red. Mm -hmm. Very sweet, um, productive. Does great in pots. We've tried it in pots. That's one of the reasons that... Uh, we, we, we like it is that we can tell people in raised beds or pots, plant habits not you know crazy or right. anything that gets you in trouble from a, from a spatial perspective. Just a really, really good variety. And by the, by the standards of peppers, fairly early. And you know, container garden is on yep. huge rise right now. Yeah. I actually grew this one last year. Yeah, this is my dad's favorite pepper. Uh, roulette's an AAS winner. It's a heatless habanero, which I know people say, well, what would I ever use it for? Um, it's a fair question, right? Mm -hmm. But but uh, my dad, this is his favorite pepper just to snack on. Mm -hmm. um, when you first bite them, you think you're getting ready to get zipped. Yep. I mean, it, it yep. gives you all that, that habanero, you know, sort of flavor, but then you, you really don't have any heat. No, and habanero has a really good flavor to me. Yeah, I, I'll actually dehydrate those uh, from my garden and make mm -hmm. a powder out of them. Right. And kind of blend it with others, and you can, you can uh, kind of neutralize a little bit of your... You know... The thing now is a lot of people like to make their own pepper sauce. For sure. Yep. And uh, I've never heard of that brand. Yep. Looking for some. Uh, That's a habanero one. one. Yep. Just so, we have you ever had a pickled or roasted tamale? I've had plenty of tamales. Have you ever had them roasted? Not that I know. It's pretty awesome. Would you like to try one? I'll try one. Yeah. Now what we got to do anything. here is we're going since we're talking about peppers. Yeah. We got to doctor just a little bit with one of these hot these hot sauces. Right. You good with that? I'm game. Now you pick your poison there. Well, I mean, do we go? I don't know what the Scoville's on them right there. So well, it says habanero, so we know it's up there. Well, now we're not going to go weak, Peter. We're going to have to go strong. You see what I'm saying? I have no problem we, with that. Okay, we may not get to all of them. Oh, this is Salsa Bravo. Salsa Bravo. Okay. If I can get a toothpick out here, let me just open it up. Roasted tomatillas. I'm going to tell you, they're pretty awesome right there. You're talking about something that's interesting to grow as tomatillas. Yeah, I tried to grow them last year. I didn't have a lot of success with them, but I'm going to try them Put again. them in the worst place in your garden. Really? 
Yeah. The more fertilizer you give them, the worse they're going to do. You grow them in North Carolina? No, but one of my larger customers is one of the largest hot, uh, growers of tomatillas on the East Coast. Okay. And uh, I'm around them a lot with him. And they're an interesting. One. They're an interesting uh, crop, to say the least. Yep. You got a paper towel on too. Yeah, you may want to just use. Yep. All right. So the one I'm going to pick of the three is going to be. Uh, you know what? We got this chili chipotle, but I'm going to go with the Caribbean. So you're going to challenge me with the hot, hot one. I think I'm going to go. They just need some backing off this thing, are they? Make sure we'll she's nice it. and loose. We'll it. Now I'll tell you, I prefer. Chipotle it has that sauces. smoky flavor yeah. to it, yeah. We can do that. We might do that. I mean, that. just from a for labor perspective, I, right. what I have in my house is mostly the Chipotle. Right, right. I'm going to do two drops, okay? You got to get the guy from, uh, what's that show online, the Hot mm -hmm. Wings place? Oh, yeah. And we do have a little water scattered around here. Well, I thought they had brought me some, but evidently they didn't. You got a bottle over there. Uh, I guess water, they you know, water doesn't do you any good. No, it doesn't. They actually say, uh, what it's is good it? flavor, by the way. It's supposed to do some pretty good on there is the milk. Milk. Because capsaicin is oil based. Mm -hmm. So anything that will take the oil and hold it, right. water just moves it around. Right. Those are good, aren't they? They're pretty good. Roasted. Who ever thought of that in its own juice? I like it because there's a little bit of char there. Yeah. So it uh, adds a little bit of. Because yeah, tomatillas in and of themselves. Yeah, yeah, that, I'm going to tell you, I would do that. that, that those are good to me. I can well, yeah. use those on a salad. Well, the thing about tomatillas is uh, they're pretty much a spring plant all the way to frost right. type crop. Right, right. Um, they're, not, they're not something that goes away. I'm going to eat one just to try to chase some of that pepper away. Of course, that was a little warm, but it wasn't that bad. No, that's it? not bad. It's actually got a pretty good base flavor to it. I like it. Put it at lunch, I'd put it on that pork chop. I know it. Okay, you ready to get into the tomatoes? Yeah, man. All right. Let me get this jar here. Probably of those three, I'm going to say we did probably the hottest one. I'm oh, gonna we say that. did yeah, the hottest yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But I before we leave, I'm going to try that one. Yeah. All right, so here we go with Southern Ripe Tomato here. Determinate variety, mm -hmm. developed in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, sort of unique in the business that it has resistance to tomato yellow leaf curl virus, which is a virus that is vectored by a white fly. More of a southern thing mm -hmm. in terms of that disease. Right. Um, you here in Georgia get it. Mm -hmm. Florida gets it. Texas gets it. North most Carolina? Of, most of the Gulf stuff. We do not. We do not have enough white fly really? presence to have that. Mm -hmm. So the breaking line is South Georgia. Really? Across the Gulf states into Texas. Um, but it's, it is white fly vectored. But it also has resistance to spotted wilt, um, which is, is a you, you know southern thing as well, but all the way into California. Predeterminate variety. Mm -hmm. Fairly, not early, but not late. Good heat set. Um, pretty That's good heat set, it. yeah. I mean, as we talked about, most of the heat set genetics that mm -hmm. were dedicated heat set were from the 80s and 90s. Um, this has hot set in its background. Okay. So it would be one of the ones you would say would do do better for hot set. Yeah. Got a little lip burn going on there. I got a little bit of Mine's this. more in the back of my mouth. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's what habaneros do, though. Yeah, I know. All right. Now, here's one I got growing in my garden. Mm -hmm. No, the, it's a pink girl. I think I got pink you have girl. You pink, pink delicious. I got pink. I may have some pink girls in a greenhouse. Yeah, pink girls are more of a, a, of a older pink of mm -hmm. ours. It's it's been around for quite a while. It's been in most, you know, catalogs and different things for for a long time. Highly determined, highly indeterminate. Sorry, pink tomato. Very, it gets very big. It does. The plant habit can get fairly big. So right. this would be one that would be a space eater if mm -hmm. you have a small garden. 
But if you've got a fairly large garden and you want a, a pretty classic pink tomato, mm -hmm. this is sort of in that category. It's a, a, a probably a more uniformly fruit-shaped version of like a, a Brandywine or a German Johnson or something like that. And equally in taste. I mean, really good flavor. Most of your pinks are fairly equitable, yeah. They're mm -hmm. all Eastern Europe or, uh, origin. Mm -hmm. um, generally, consider, people consider pink tomatoes to be a little bit lower acid than... Right. Than some of your uh, yep. red tomatoes, but you know, pink girls, you know, been around a while and people have grown it forever. Yep. So, you know what? We uh, did that get mixed in there? You did. You threw tomatoes in and jumped back to pepper. Yeah. Is this King Arthur? Is this yours? Yeah, King Arthur's okay. ours. Yeah, that's. Yeah, let's uh, get this. You know, we got early. I mean, I got all my, we're going yeah, to jump well, King Arthur is a pretty standard green bell. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's widely been, been widely grown in the commercial space in uh, the Northeast for. Close to 20 years now, I guess. Big pepper. Big pepper. Yep. Yeah. Fairly, fairly prostrate plant habit. Um, if you're going to look at a traditional green bell for a container garden or a, mm -hmm. or a small space, King Arthur. So you think King Arthur might a good container? Well, it, as far as bell pepper goes, it's got a relatively compact plant. So the trend on TikTok for the last week is these guys pinching the top out of the pepper plant. The terminal bud? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a is that a regular practice in the commercial? No, industry? no, it's done nowhere in the commercial. Okay, space. I didn't think so. But is it beneficial to do that? I would think not. I, I mean, would too. When uh, I say that, it would definitely delay maturity. I know there was research done on that. Uh, my dad was involved in some of it back in the '80s, looking at at pinching the terminal bud out to force lateral growth. Right, right. And the idea was you get more productivity off a smaller amount of space. Right. Didn't really pan out as I understand it, and it really killed maturity. Right. Because uh, then once you once you change that pant sort of growth habit, you're you're going to dramatically lengthen the time it takes to flower and produce. So there you folks have it, you TikTokers out there. It's, it's not necessarily. It's not going to kill your plant. No, but it's not going to help you in it. So it's the whole thing now. Is everybody's pinching out those tops because it's going to make you fruit more. Yeah, not necessarily true. Okay. Right. Not to mention the fact that the longer it sits out there before it fruits, the more chance and you're disease or something's going to take plant. it out. Yeah, you're, you're definitely stressing the plant. Early sensation pepper. Yep. Early yellow. Very good yellow. Not a lot of great yellows out there. Mm -hmm. This is one of them that, that would that would uh, perform very well. Most home gardeners. It's, a, again, a fairly prostrate, moderate plant habit. So it'd be one if you're going to put a green bell in a home garden, I mean, in a container garden, this would be one to put in there. Yep. Um, a yellow fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit are not yep. overly big, not overly small. Yep. Um, yeah, I've grown this one. It's the yellow one I've grown in my garden for years, mm -hmm. uh, and it's just very productive, good green bell pepper that turns to yellow. How about Mr. Time Bomb? We sell a lot of this one. Yeah, and then, you know, Time Bomb is a classic hot cherry, mm -hmm. and those things are hot. People, mm -hmm. people, I think because they're called cherries, they think they're uh, they're they're hotter than a jalapeno. Yeah, well, um, the bomb there kind of gives it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of a classic, um, kind of a classic, you know. Pickling mm -hmm. style cherry pepper. Yep. Uh, green or red, it depends on the the packer really, or I mm -hmm. guess the home garden in this case, whether you want to pickle them green or pickle them red. A little bit of sea shortage on this one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a year to year thing. Yeah. There's not a, as nearly as much commercial production of cherry peppers as there used to be. Super excited about this line of tomatoes. Yeah, right Purple here. Boy is a really good variety. Yeah. Um, it's it's one that we we challenged our breeders a number of years ago to kind of bring to our home garden business a you know sort of a heirloom like genetics but would, that would be producible by your average home gardener and purple boy is one of those so this has a parental line in it that is out of cherokee purple mm -hmm. and then there's crosses some other material to bring in disease resistance so purple boy is got at most if not all the same flavor you get out of a traditional cherokee purple 
but far more productive. Right. Doesn't crack. Right. Uh, plants not as as crazy. Um, fruit are a little bit smaller, but there's a lot more of them. Yep. Um, so my, I, that's my mother's favorite tomato. That's what I, I grew, grew that last year. Now, one thing that we talked about on it, if you don't sucker it aggressively, you're going to end up with a just a, a medium-sized tomato. But you got to sucker that baby, and you'll get them big old tomatoes. Keep pruning, pruning it and keep yep. pruning it. All right. And this is the one, folks, that won our taste test last year, Lemon Boy. Yeah, and you were blindfolded, if I remember correctly. I correct. was blindfolded, yep. And I would, I would, if you re-ran the test and weren't blindfolded, I wonder if you'd pick a yellow tomato. You know, that's, I've often thought about mm -hmm. that because our mind throws tricks on us with colors like yeah, that. Yeah, we've, we've done a lot of sensory panel testing, and, and we know that as a, as a general rule, we eat as much with our eyes as with, mm -hmm. our, mm -hmm. with our taste buds, right? But Lemon Boy's a classic yellow tomato, indeterminate, been around a long time. Wildly considered to be one of the best ones in the market for home gardeners for a, a classic like bright lemony yellow yep. tomato. Um, just really like it. I mean, it's just a really yep. solid product. Yep. You, you can't really go wrong. Great, with it. great flavor. You know, nice product. contrast in any sort of mm -hmm. tabletop display. Big beef. Big beef's a standard variety. Yeah, all American winner from the 80s. Um, just a really good standard indeterminate. Mm -hmm. Eats great. You know, kind of your uh, your classic you know, home garden type tomato. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it won AAS back in the 80s because it was better than anything at the time for cracking, for, you know, fruit size, for consistency of production, moderate pruning. You want to prune it a little bit, but you don't want to go crazy with it. Would you say this, and I'm going to say type here because I'm going to use that term loosely, this type of tomato is probably in the home garden in the USA is planted more than any other type or, if I'm using the word type there, this this tomato right here is probably one of the most popular types oh, grown sure. in the entire USA. Mm -hmm. Now here in the South, we're going to grow a determinant. Yeah. But I'm talking about all over the United States, this type of tomato is what you used to grow it in the garden, what your granddaddy probably grew. Yeah, it's what your granddaddy probably grew. And, you know, the heirloom movement's been fairly recent. Mm -hmm. These from the 80s, these, these really good productive indeterminates mm -hmm. have really defined home garden tomatoes right. for, for the last 20, 25 years until yep. the heirloom thing kind of came back. So... You know, if, if if you want productivity in your, your home garden, I'm not saying don't plant heirlooms, but if you want productivity and, and, and you want tomatoes, something like this is going to give you more tomatoes yep. um, than most of your heirloom products. And y'all doing some work with this with Big Beef Plus. Yeah, so Big Beef Plus is sort of an, a, the next generation of Big Beef, mostly the same thing. It adds spotted wilt resistance, mm -hmm. which is a big thing here in the South. It's mm -hmm. the one, the Big Beef Plus is what I grow in my garden because I need spotted wilt resistance in North Carolina. If you're in Eastern North Carolina, you have to have spotted wilt resistance in tomatoes. Um, and, you know, it adds the crimson gene. So the right. Big Beef Plus uh, added the crimson gene, which is that deep red fruit color that mm -hmm. people find very appealing in tomatoes. Better Boy tomato, a lot of name recognition right here. Yeah, the Better Boy is has been around forever. It's kind of your standard indeterminate line. It's what people kind of classically point to when they when they look and they say, hey, I'm going to an indeterminate tomato. We got a customer in Texas, Jimbo. He loves this Better Boy. Yeah, it eats great. I mean, it you don't you don't stick around as long as that thing has without having yeah. a real positive success. Yeah. And, you know, Better Boy is kind of a standard. I mean. You can plant a lot of things in your garden, but you'd probably want to put a you know, few plants of those in as too. I have uh, I have some Butter Boy and Big Beef in the greenhouse. Yeah. Florida 91. So Florida 91 is a variety developed by a breeder of ours in Florida um, in the 90s, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s. It's a true hot set. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we were talking at lunch, a lot of the germplasm that, that you know, evolved into hot sets came from the University of Florida. This has got University of Florida germplasm in it. 
and it is a true hot set. Now, hot set in tomatoes, you, you, you sort of infer it's hot daytime temperatures. That's not really what heat set tomatoes are, are designed to do. They're really designed to set better in high nighttime temperatures. Hmm. That's when the stress on the plant is at, at its highest. Uh, is when is when you know late at night when they're taking the sugars from the day and converting them right. converting them at night. So, you know, high nighttime temperatures are really what cause fruit drop in tomato flower drop. So this tomato. makes this a decent choice for the fall slot. It's what you would use in the fall slot. Okay. It's what I use in the fall slot. Right. It's what is used in Florida. You know, commercial production in the fall slot. Yeah. Man, I'm gonna tell you, awesome, yeah. awesome right here. Yeah. Sun sugar tomato here. We have as many compliments on this tomato here as we do yeah. any tomato out there. Yeah, that's a must-have in my, my, that's my parents. Of all the things I grow, mm -hmm. that's the thing that they insist is in the garden every Man, year. Man, everybody just raves, raves yeah. about sun you, sugar. You just can't not have sun sugar in yeah, the garden. Very productive, and it's got such a wonderful taste yeah, to it. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty strong plant, so yep. prepared for it as an indeterminate, but outside of that, it's, it's pretty carefree. Yep. I mean, it'll produce a lot of fruit. For a long period of time. Now, it will crack, yep. so don't. Don't dally on getting them picked. Right. But um, dally. Don't, dally. Yeah, don't dally. Dally. All right, celebrity. So celebrity is, I mean, everyone knows what celebrity is. Um, long time, dominant, determinate variety for the home garden. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, I think one of the sneaky things about celebrity that most people don't know is that's root knot nematode resistance, southern mm -hmm. root knot nematode resistance. And I think it's one reason it's been so successful in the south is is it's that's a good point to bring out because a lot of our customers have problems with nematodes there's not a lot of solution yeah. to be done there there just isn't for your typical home gardener right. I mean, you know you can have you can do some of the mustards mm -hmm. and that sort of thing but at, you know if you're in a really small space or you're, you're you don't have the time right um it's it's very hard to control nematodes one of the things we found in some research we're doing on the commercial side is varieties like celebrity that have root knot nematode mm -hmm. resistance if you've got a problem spot plant them right um over the course of a, of a summer cycle, the, the nematodes think they can feed on those and reproduce. So they will, they will, they will attack it, and then they, their populations actually decline oh. pretty precipitously. So if you have a place where you, in your garden where you, have, you know you have a nematode problem, put something that has nematode resistance in there and starve them out. It'll, it'll at least help. Yeah, it's a good, good strategy. I've never mm. really thought about that. And last but not least is Dixie Red. Now, Dixie Red is... Uh, a relatively newcomer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's not. Um, it's been around probably ten years. Um, it's it's home garden appeal. It's got great disease resistance, and he doesn't need to be pruned. So that's mm -hmm. one thing that home gardeners, I think, don't really think about is is the assumption is if you grow a tomato variety, you have to prune it. Right. And that is absolutely not the case. Mm -hmm. um, there are genetics. Dixie Red is a perfect example that benefit from not being pruned more than they do from being pruned. Yep. And, you know, ask your vendor. You guys know. Mm -hmm. You're asking us, hey, how do I treat these things? So, so you can you can tell customers, hey, this one in particular, treat this way. So right. In some cases, you do have to prune them. Right. You know, like Purple Boy, you need to prune it hard Yeah, yeah to, get to really get out of it what you're yep. paying for. In the right. case of Dixie Red, it's the polar opposite. The more mm -hmm. you prune it. And it is an indeterminate. No, it is a determinant. It, it, it is actually case. fairly determinate, and that's one Mostly reason Mostly speaking, it. on determinants, you don't prune. We may prune up to the third or fourth node at most. Mm -hmm. on at the most. At the most. And then on indeterminants, you normally prune these pretty hard. Yeah, I guess there's a, there actually, in Dixie Reds 1, there's a lot of determinant rise where you really don't want to prune mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. So down here, I like to grow as much foliage as I can to protect from the sensor. For cover. Yep. 
So I don't do very, I'm going to do a little bit this year on the on the new Hossinator. And I'm doing that for a specific reason, but I normally do not do very little yeah. sucking. People uh, think that by pruning you get fruit size. That's yeah. the assumption. But right. in, in a lot of genetics, that's actually not the case. Right. right. So, you know, we've talked about your seeds and everything. We grow a lot of watermelons here in the yep. South. And uh, we got into the seedless watermelon thing a few years ago, and it can be troublesome. A lot of our customers have trouble growing them, and you do a lot of work with watermelons. Yes. One of my main crops. Yep. So I want you to give everybody a rundown of best practices on getting them to germinate because it can be, man, it can be frustrating to get some of these germinated. So yep. give us give us a rundown there on your opinion on best practices on getting seeds started. Well, I'm talking specifically seedless. Because mm -hmm. um, seeded varieties normally, no anybody issues. can give yeah. those up. Yeah. Yeah. Se seedless watermelons, the seed itself is physiologically different than traditional seeded watermelons. There's There's a... The seed itself is kind of like a got an open um, a holler, would you say? Yeah, that's the term that I don't know if there's an actual term for it. There's a physiological term which I don't know, but they're they're essentially hollow. And seedless seed will imbibe water really fast, and in doing so, the that that process will rupture seed membranes or cells inside the inside the um, seed, and can really result in weak germination. And there's two kind of keys that your commercial plant raisers are using to grow seedless seed, maximize the return on the seed. One is moisture. So seedless seed don't need much moisture to germinate. I, I think it... Which is counterintuitive to what we normally think about seed starting. Yeah, I mean, seed starting, you, you're, you're, you're taught to have plenty of moisture there. Uh, the general rule most of your plant raisers will use is if you use a real light medium, if mm -hmm. at all possible, lightest medium you can, and then when you squeeze it, it, you need for no water to run out the bottom. It needs okay. to basically ball up, and you know then it's about right. If you're running water out, you've got too much water in it for seedless. Second is temperature. Um, seedless require between 80 and 90 degrees for the first 36 to 48 hours they're in the cell to get maximum germination. Um, and in that period, you don't water them. You leave them alone. Quite honestly, I tell most of my plant raisers, don't water until you see the the seed sort of goosenecking out of the cell. Really? Yeah, you'll you'll be tempted because the top will get well. You dry. just want to go out there and your mind's telling you that, yeah. and you can you can you can fish down in there, and if you see the the hypocol, the root having emerged, it's germinated. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, people who struggle to get seedless seed germinated have either overwatered them, and that's mm -hmm. mostly what happens or they try to grow them too cool. Hmm. Now, if you leave them in heat too long, they'll get real leggy on it. I know you had an yeah. issue in your greenhouse right. where they were, right. and that's that same thing will happen with seedless. Right. So, um, but if you're between that 80 and 90 degrees, and the other thing is, in, in the case of a smaller grower, if you're using a heat mat, which I know y'all advise growers do, fill your tray up, put your moist water in it, and put it on the heat mat the day before you're gonna seed your seedless. Preheat it. Preheat it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's probably the biggest thing that the commercial plant raisers do. And keep it 85 to 90 degrees. So that being the case, most heat mats only raise about 10 to 15 degrees off ambient temperature. So you're going to uh, need to keep it in a 75 degree yes. room with the heat mat to get it close mm -hmm. to 90. So. And then a lot of times growers will wrap them. Yep. I don't know if a traditional home gardener that really matters that much. Well, what we've done is wrap it in saran wrap, mm -hmm. you know, that's the trays. And, and that seems to help. you got to pay attention because I lost a 
crop that way. Yeah. Well, you're trapping the moisture in there because yeah. you're already going with a media that's not all that water. Yeah. Water I wonder if you might not be as the water situation getting in that seed. I think if you if you are going to wrap them, I think you really need to pay attention to how much moisture is in that media. Correct. Like you talked about. Medium's the key. Yeah. And then where people will make a mistake is they'll come in at a day or two and they'll water, but the water temperature is 55 degrees, come out of the tap or out of the you know, out of the faucet right, on the back. Right. And most of my commercial guys actually have their water their water bins on the outside of the greenhouses will be painted black or dark blue. Yep, yep. And that water will heat up. From the so sun. they're watering with warmer water wow. than well water. I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Because that happens. I mean, I'm up in the greenhouse and I turn it on and warm water starts with because I got my hose yeah, there. Your hose is hot. And then it turns cool. Hmm. And that has a, a huge effect on water. Well, particularly if you're late in the day and yeah. you're trying to start, say, a pepper right. or tomato seed and you shock that soil temperature back down to 55, 60 yep. degrees. What have you it's, done? It's the next day, midday, before your mm -hmm. greenhouse temperature pulls that media back up to wow. the temperature you probably want to germinate at. Yeah. Hmm. Good stuff here. I, uh, I've learned it's a good bit today myself, y'all. How about that? Now, what we have happen here is somewhere on the set is what we call an old goat. Mm -hmm. Seen him. The old goat is hid somewhere. We don't know exactly where he's at, but he's hid somewhere. So we're going to draw from the last time. Last show, we're going to draw a winner from people that found the old goat. All right. Their names are in here. Their names are here. And they're going to send their email to customer service. We're going to send them the highly coveted Hoss merchandise. All right. So if you would draw us a name out there. Right there. Yeah. And what do we have here? We have Slow Mo. Slow Mo, we have drawn your name and you found the old goat last show. So send us your shipping information and we'll get you a present in the mail. How about that? And we got a little event I need to mention that we're doing over in Alabama. Petals from the Past Antiques in the Garden tour is uh is going to be over in saturday april the 23rd and petals from the past is a wonderful garden center over in alabama these guys specialize in fruit trees and mm. things like that man he's a wealth of information uh, really really highly acclaimed garden center there we're going to be there for the day along with some other youtubers that, uh, that we're buddies with, and it's going to be on Saturday, April 23rd from 9 to 5. So if you find yourself in Alabama on the 23rd, swing by there and see us all. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, man, it was a pleasure, Peter. Enjoy being here. It was a pleasure. We got, nice. we got to do it more often. We will. Yeah. yeah. Good information there. All right, folks. Now it's time for you to get dirty. <laughs>